Welcome back to Informed and Inflamed, where we seek to inform our minds with truth in order to inflame our hearts with love for God and neighbor. I'm Brad Owens, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another episode. this episode, we're going to take a look at the five R's of repentance. When it comes to genuine biblical repentance, there are a handful of very important ingredients that it consists of. So we want to take a look at those so that we might grow in this vital lifestyle practice more and more. The very first statement of Martin Luther's 95 Theses was actually about repentance. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And Luther is right. Repentance is not something we do once when we first come to know the Lord. Repentance is the lifelong journey of turning away from sin and turning to the Lord. It's a daily habit we must develop and grow in. Repentance is about finding satisfaction for our deepest longings in the Lord alone and not in other things which we are so prone to do. As the Spirit's purifying presence does His work in our hearts, we find ourselves repenting more quickly, more deeply, and more regularly. But let's take a look at the five R's of repentance and unpack what a life of repentance involves. So the five R's of repentance are relent, return, receive, resolve, and repeat. These come from Kathleen Westland's book, Prayer Pathway, which if you sense your weakness and need for growth when it comes to your prayer life, like I do, this is such a great resource. But let's walk through these five R's of repentance and unpack each one a little bit. So first of all, we must relent. We must embrace a new relationship toward our sins and be willing to let go of them. We must slow down to consider why a particular sin has such a tight grip on our hearts. And that deep heart reflection tills and prepares the ground of our hearts for the other ingredients of repentance. But Proverbs 28 verse 13 says this, Whoever conceals or whoever hides his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So the first step we must take when repenting is to acknowledge the sin and admit that it's a problem that needs to be dealt with. That's what it means to confess. Then we must, by God's grace and only with His help, be willing to forsake it and actually turn away from it. But that first requires that we relent, that we stop to consider our sinfulness and the idols we look to to give us joy, satisfaction, and a sense of peace. And doing this is, of course, humbling and difficult. Wrestling with how deep our badness goes is the first painful step in the larger, glorious work of repentance. So first, we must relent. And second, we must return. To repent actually means to just change direction. True repentance acknowledges that we are going in the wrong direction and that we need to turn around. And we see this turning around language in Acts 3, verses 19 and 20 where Peter says this, Repent then and turn back to God, so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, 
So to truly repent, we have to admit that a course correction is necessary, that the path we're currently traveling on is dangerous and foolish, and we acknowledge this wrong direction in prayer as we confess our sins to God. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. To confess means, put simply, to agree with God. We agree with God when we acknowledge our guilt in transgressing His good law. and We agree with Him by drawing the moral boundaries around our lives where He has drawn them and not where we would like them to be drawn. And when we jump over the protective guardrails He has placed around us, repentance is recognizing the foolishness of doing that and hopping back over the fence into the safety of God's ways. Perhaps another way to think about sin and repentance is to think about sin as something that entangles you in its web and prevents you from enjoying what God wants you to enjoy. Hebrews 12 speaks this way when it calls us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So according to Hebrews 12, the Christian life is a good and glorious race that God wants us to run. But our sinful tendencies and desires work against us by throwing obstacle after obstacle in our path. Sin holds us back from enjoying what God wants us to delight in and to experience. Whenever I return home to my family after a youth ministry retreat or an out-of-town class, I love the moment when I first walk through the front door. My daughters, Hattie and Ella Kate, are always excited that Daddy's home, and it's such a joy to see the excitement on their precious little faces. They're so excited for some Daddy hugs, but when I first walk through the door, I've got several things thrown across my shoulders. I've got my duffel bag, my computer bag, usually a bag of dirty clothes that need to be washed. So in order to bend down to give the girls a big hug and to begin the cuddle and tickle session that will inevitably follow, I first have to get rid of the bags that are strapped across my shoulders. In order to enjoy the hugs of my daughters, I've got to take away the things that stand in the way. And our sins are like the bags that keep us from enjoying something so much better. In order to enjoy and experience the joy of relationship with our Heavenly Father, we need the hindrance of our sin to be removed first. And this is not only true for our initial salvation, but it's also true for our ongoing sanctification. As we continue making our way through life, our sin is an ever-present thing that we must deal with in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. We cannot overcome our sins in our own strength, which brings us to the third ingredient of repentance. Third, we must receive. Once we have confessed our sins to God, 1 John 1.9 says that God will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Once we confess our sins to the Lord and ask for His mercy and grace, we're forgiven. We can receive His forgiveness and move on. We don't have to sit around and beat ourselves up for our sin. Too often we continue to wallow in feelings of guilt and shame, but we must learn to receive God's precious promises and take them to heart. If we have been joined to Christ through saving faith, then we are God's dearly loved children, and He takes great delight and pleasure in us. He doesn't despise us as we so often fear that He does. We fear that He might be disgusted with us for disobeying His word, 
But in fact, God the Father takes great pleasure in calling us his sons and daughters, and he has compassion on us even as we continue to struggle with sin throughout life. Listen to these words from Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13, and just receive the indescribable comfort contained in them. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8, says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Man, I love those verses so much. They remind me that God is so much better and so much more gracious than I tend to think. And that is something that I need to be reminded of so often. You see, forgiveness for our sins, as Tim Keller has said before, is received, not achieved. Being saved from our sins is not something we can ever earn or deserve because we've been good enough. No, the truth is that we can never measure up to God's perfect and holy standard. The only way we can be pleasing in God's sight is if the perfect goodness and obedience of Christ is credited to our account as if it were truly our own. And that magnificent exchange where Jesus takes our sin and is crushed for it and we get his righteousness by faith, that and that alone is what makes us right with God. And fourth, we must resolve. We must renew our resolve to wage war against our sin. We must not give up and give in to our sinful natures. Although the sin that remains in our hearts is strong, we must remember that if we are truly united to Christ by faith, God has given us His Spirit precisely so that we may experience victory over sin. Christ took the penalty for our sin upon Himself, but we must also expect to experience increasing freedom from the power of sin in our lives. And one day, when we die or when King Jesus returns, we will finally be rescued from the very presence of sin altogether. That is our ultimate hope, where sin is completely eradicated and we are with the Lord in his presence for all eternity. Jesus told the woman caught in adultery in John 8 that he did not condemn her, but he also told her to go and from now on sin no more. And we must resolve within our hearts to do the very same thing, to go and from now on sin no more. That doesn't mean we're not going to sin at all, but that we're not going to be defined by a struggle with sin. We're going to resist it and do everything we can by the power of the Spirit to fight against it and to resist its temptations. So even in this resolve, we must rely on the Spirit who is the only one who is able to empower us in our resolve to fight against sin. And fifth and finally, we must repeat. Since we know we will continue to wrestle against our sinful natures until we die, we must be ready to repeat this process over and over again. Cornelius Plantinga puts it helpfully. He says it this way, Recalling and confessing our sin is like taking out the garbage. Once is not enough. 
So because of how often we sin, repentance is a daily responsibility we must be ready to repeat countless times. Although this can be discouraging when the same old sin just continues to overcome you yet again, God is at work even in the midst of our repeated failures to walk in his ways. As we fall and by God's grace get back up again, we are being gradually strengthened to fight against temptation the next time. Our spiritual muscles are slowly developing and becoming stronger and stronger by the power of God's Spirit. So as we repeat this process over and over again, we can have faith that even when we can't see it happening, God is, in the words of Hebrews 13, verse 21, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. So don't be discouraged that you're having to repent and turn away yet again from the same old sin. God is gradually teaching us how to repent more quickly, more deeply, and more consistently. But there are going to be plenty of failures along the way. Thankfully, we serve a God who promises to finish the good work He has begun in us, and He will do exactly that. He will stop at nothing to bring us to a place where we find the deepest longings of our hearts satisfied in Him alone. And that is the glorious hope that we have of God's ongoing work in our lives. So those are the five R's of repentance. Relent, return, receive, resolve, and repeat. My prayer for myself and for you all is that God would give us grace to grow in this important dimension of living in God's world as disciples of Jesus. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining me, and I look forward to connecting with you again next time.